today we're getting back to what has been called the most riveting book in all of the Bible, the book of Acts. And we're in this series called Our Hearts Burn Within. And we took a break for four weeks and our preaching team walked us through the book of Ruth and they did an absolutely amazing job. I'm thankful for them. You should be thankful for them. Yes, clap and clap and clap. Well, but now we return to this gripping book in Acts. And what we've been seeing is the power of God in the joy of God unleashed in the church but then the whip of persecution comes against the church and drives the church and God's people all to the surrounding areas around them and God always uses these bad things that happen for good and so the church has been scattered the people of God have been scattered and what happens a movement is ignited The power of God and the joy of God spreads to the surrounding areas. And today we see that God is not only concerned for a movement. He's concerned for a lone wanderer, a nameless man who wanders the desert lost and alone. And he's empty and he's cut off from joy and from peace and from rest. Today, we're going to meet this man. He's called the Ethiopian eunuch. And by the way, today, we're going to do something that we haven't done in a while. We're going to have a time of Q&A, and we're going to do it right after the sermon. So it's going to be part of the service, and my number will be on the screen, and all you got to do is just text in your question. So this could be a horrible thing, or this could be super cool. We'll see what happens. This is a fun little adventure we're going to be on. So we're in Acts 8 today, and we're going to be in verse 26, and we're going to read through verse 39. This is God's word to us, and it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter... And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. 
He goes from being emptied to rejoicing. Let's look. Here's our first point, emptied. The question we have to ask is, what in the world is this wildly successful Ethiopian eunuch doing taking this two-month-long journey to Jerusalem? Like, this man is... He's successful, he has responsibilities, he's like the CFO of an entire nation, but he just drops everything and he goes on a two-month-long trip to Jerusalem, there and back again. And here is what it appears has happened. He is a man who's seeking success, no matter the cost. It's everything to him. And he has achieved his dreams. He's done it. Everything he chased after, it's in his hands, and he got it. And it all came at a great cost. He is, I mean, he holds the gold and silver of all the nation, but he's missing two jewels. You understand the story, right? Okay. This was a great cost. And he thought it would deliver. And here's why this, this has happened. This is, it, it basically means, hey, we don't have to worry about this guy. He can go and be with the queen. There's nothing that's going to happen. He's a eunuch, so we don't have to worry about it. So they give him a lot of responsibility, but it came at a great cost. And he thought it would deliver. It's like my career at all costs. I'm going to chase it. And it ends up being sour water. Not only now is he physically empty, but he is spiritually empty. So he goes off on this spiritual pilgrimage. He has longings, deep longings. And when we think about our longings, you could think of them like a compass. Only it's a pesky compass. It doesn't work the way you want. Because what you want with a compass is it's telling you the way to go. But with our longings, our compass, our longings which are a compass only tell us what isn't working. Like we go around and we try something out. We think maybe this career will satisfy me. We try it out and it doesn't work. And what happens is your longing turns on and says, you are made for something more. Keep going to a greater homeland, to a greater treasure, to a greater prize. And this eunuch, he's from Ethiopia. He would have already tried everything out. Like he has friends in high places. They would have likely known all the religions of the area and he would have tried them. He would have investigated them. He would have seen, you know, my career hasn't worked out to give me satisfaction. So I'm going to go try these religions out and they didn't work either. So he goes on the spiritual pilgrimage and he sets out and he leaves and everybody's watching him go probably thinking, man, what a brat this guy is. Like he's got everything, everything that we've wanted, everything. I mean, this, this, is, this man is a definition of success, and yet he can't be thankful. What's happened? His soul is stirring within him saying, you got to keep going. There is more. Don't settle. And when you look at him, you've got to see that he does something that few people do because what, few, what most people would do at this point is they turn cynical. They chased everything and it didn't deliver or they get depressed or they turn destructive. But he keeps seeking, but it often happens to us to do this. I, I've told you guys about this before, the 27 Club. The 27 Club is a group of artists, musicians, 
actors, people who have made it, they're famous. They had a dream, they had a deep longing, and they were talented enough and they worked hard to get it. And as soon as they got it, it slipped through their hands like water and oil. They couldn't grasp it and they chased it so hard, hoping it would give them everything that they want and it didn't. And it destroyed them. So they took their own life because something didn't deliver. Or they turned to a reckless living where they chased some high from a drug or some type of experience and it ended with their life. They died at the age of 27 because they chased something and it didn't deliver. But the eunuch, he keeps hoping. And he really risks a lot. Everybody's saying, what is this man doing? He could return and it could all be gone, but it doesn't matter. He has to go. Here is the question we have to ask. This restless longing in us, is it actually going to lead anywhere? C.S. Lewis has a quote that helps us. He says, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world will satisfy, the only logical conclusion is I'm not made for this world. This longing in you that's like a compass, this alarm system that keeps going off, making you restless, it's because you keep settling for something less than home. You keep settling for something less than God. He is the deepest treasure, the most desperate desire of your heart. And what Christianity is saying to do is turn your desire dial up, your longing dial up all the way to 10. And if you will do this, you're going to pass by every single thing this world has to offer you. And you will never settle until you arrive at the arms of God. And the way that Christianity works is that Christ comes down. God comes in. Heaven gets in. So there's pinpricks of glory. There's pinpricks of beauty and wonder all around us we just have to open our eyes to see and when we do this is heaven getting in and stirring within us saying that place that you long for it's secure for you and you're not there yet but you can see it like through a telescope and it fills you with joy you're getting heaven just a bit now and all of these desires in you like for love and for friendship for beauty and for pleasure, all of it, if you turn it all the way up to 10, it's going to lead you to God. The biggest mistake that you're probably making right now, and, and, and I think all of us make this mistake, is we turn our desires down. And it would make sense why we would do that. Because we keep trying things and they're not meeting our hopes and expectations. So in order to cope with the unmet expectations that you have in your life, you turn your desire dial down so that you can deal with it. This is actually the philosophy of Buddhism. It's the philosophy of Stoicism. And you're probably doing it a lot more than you realize. A lot of self-help books, a lot of success gurus are telling people to do this. It's essentially saying, be happy with whatever the world throws at you. In other words, adjust yourself to just be good with whatever. There's no God. It's okay. Learn to be happy with that situation. And Christianity says, no way. Dial it all the way up to 10. Now, I made the mistake of turning my desires down. When my oldest son, Cruz, was diagnosed with a rare disease, autoimmune encephalitis, we ended up spending uh, up to four days at a time in hospitals. 
And when we were there, I, was, I would be walking these cold hospital hallways, and at times, I found myself strangely warmed by God's presence. But there were other times when I'm looking at what's happening and the anxiety of it all becomes too much for me. Like, I'm just looking at it like, and it's stirring this, all this anxiety up in me. And in order to cope with all of this anxiety, I just turned my desires all the way down. And I did this so that I could cope. And in my mind, then I could be a rock for my family. Then I could hold Cruz down to get another IV. Then I could write a sermon while I'm sitting in this cold hospital. And it was a mistake. Because here's what happens. When you turn your desires down, you, you become impenetrable in a bad way. You become impenetrable in the sense that now no pain gets in, but now the stuff of heaven can't get in. I'm closed. I'm shut off to all the beauty and goodness of heaven. But if I would have turned my desires all the way up, I would have been in far more pain. I would have been suffering far more, but there would have been more peace and more joy. This world has enough pain in it to fill the ocean, but the cosmos... The heavens have enough joy and peace and love and beauty to fill our souls forever and overwhelm the sorrow and the pain and the suffering. And we get strength when we do that. The pain comes in, but we get more strength that overwhelms the pain. So Christianity says turn all the way up. And maybe you have a job that's great but you're not happy. And you don't even realize that your job is that good. And the reason is because you are trying to find all your satisfaction from your job. And it's making you maybe want to quit, but maybe what really needs to happen is you've got to go on a spiritual pilgrimage, like the eunuch did. Or maybe you have an amazing spouse or amazing children or you have an amazing lover and you're seeing everything and you're saying something's wrong and you're looking at your situation and you're saying, this isn't satisfying me. And you're beginning to get angry at the people in your life because they're not delivering for you. But they were never meant to. It's always been meant to be God who delivers. And so you're going to get angry at them and frustrated at them and blame them, but really it's your fault because you've settled for something less than God. Now, I'm not saying that your family is not amazing, but they are not God. So don't treat them as if they are because if you do, you'll crush them and they'll let you down. You, what you need is a spiritual pilgrimage. And that's what the eunuch does, and that's what we should do. This is our second point. So he goes on this spiritual pilgrimage, and this point is called cut off. <laughs> Playing words again. He, he takes this long journey to Jerusalem, and he gets there. And he goes to the, I mean, his hopes are high, and he gets to the temple. And he starts banging on this temple door like, I'm about to be here. Everything I want and long for is on the other side of the doors. And the doors swing open. Maybe the priest sees him and they shut the door right back in his face. 
Now, how do I know they did that? Because it doesn't say that in the text. Well, there's, a, there's an old Israelite law that said eunuchs are not allowed into the temple and into the presence of God. It could have to do with the worship of other gods. I, I, we, don't, we don't know. But there's other laws that say something similar. If you come into the presence of a dead body and you touch a dead body, you have to go through a purification stage before you can enter into the temple. If you have mold in your house, you have to go through a cleansing stage before you can go into the temple and into the presence of God. Now, this sounds strange. What it's trying to do is to communicate to you that God is holy. He's set apart. And if you're broken, if you've, if, if you've done things that you shouldn't do, like you can't come into the presence of God. If there's an uncleanness about you, you can't just walk into the presence of God. There has to be something like to atone for your sins. So the eunuch gets there and he's hoping for much. But not only now is he physically cut off, but he's spiritually cut off. And it's like it's on the other side of the door. Like he can almost feel it. But the door is shut. The way is shut. So he hangs his head low. He gets back into the chariot and he makes his way back home to something that he knows will not deliver. And he's driving on this dusty desert road in this chariot. And it's just a picture of his spiritual condition. Nothing worked. His career was bitter water. Other religions were empty wells. And he can't have a family, so he's cut off from that. And now he rides along, empty, cut off, rejected, lost, broken. And God has him right where he wants him. That's often the way that God works. He finds you out on the desert road. You've chased after this and that and nothing is delivered and you're empty. You're lost. You're cut off. You're broken. There's no one with you. You're alone. The only thing, in fact, that you have are your sins. Like if we measure up ourselves compared to God and he's like, what do you have to offer me? You're like, I got my sins. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but he says, I'll take them. That's cool. So where we're empty. And, and if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, we have this silly, nasty habit of keep trying to find happiness from something other than God. And when we do this, God says, okay, I will give you over to your passions. I will give you over to these things. And we go to them and they don't deliver. And we find ourselves without joy and without peace and without strength out in this desert road longing. And then we realize, oh, it was God the whole time. And then he's like, I'm here. And I've been here the whole time. You just couldn't see me. Because something else was in your eyes. Something else was greater than me to you. And you lost me. But I'm back. And then on this desert road, this is our third point. This is where we're healed. This is where we're filled. So the nameless eunuch, he's riding the desert road, empty and cut off. And he unrolls the, this is interesting, he unrolls the Isaiah scroll. Now this is so important. And he's reading from Isaiah 53, 
which means he's reading through these suffering servant songs that have been written through the 40s and 50s of Isaiah. And this is incredibly significant because it means he's probably been reading this a lot. It's probably, in fact, why he even took this trip in the first place. Now, what do I mean? Well, a few chapters from Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 56, something I'm sure he had to have read. Here's what it says. Now, just imagine this. You're a eunuch reading this. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my covenant, who hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls, meaning the doors are open, he can walk in, a monument, and I will give him a name better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It's a brilliant play on words. He's got to have read this and thought, this is it. This is my dream. I'm reading it right here. Everything that I've chased, it's right in here in Isaiah 56. I'm going. I'm no longer going to be a dry tree. I'm going to have a family. I'm going to be healed. And I sought to make a name for myself back in Ethiopia, and it didn't work. But there, in the house of God, I am given an everlasting name. But the door was shut. Now, why is the door shut to him if this promise is true? He's got to be wondering what's going on. He's thinking, I know that I'm shut off because I'm a eunuch, but I just read this promise. And I've heard that God's word must be true. So why is the door shut? And he's, he's reading through the scriptures trying to figure it out. You know, he's unrolling the scroll and he's driving along in this bumpy chariot. And then something really weird happens. All of a sudden, there's a head that's bobbing along next to him as he's riding along in this chariot. And it's really weird because it's a Jewish man who's running, and Middle Eastern Jewish patriarchs do not run. So this is strange, so maybe he's thinking this guy could be crazy. And also, this Ethiopian and this Jewish man, they wouldn't associate with each other because of their backgrounds. Everything's staying, get away from this guy, But the eunuch says, no, please help me. He's desperate enough. He's in need enough. So he says, please come in, tell me what's going on. So he steps in. And then here's here's what Philip explains. He's looking at Isaiah 53. And the eunuch's like, why was the door shut in my face? I'm reading the promise. And Philip says, because Christ was not in the temple. They kicked him out. Christ is the door to the presence of the Father. It's all through him. He is the answer. That's why the door was shut off to you. Now, too often we find in the church there's too little of Christ. We're not making enough of him. He's the centerpiece of everything that we're about. And he's the centerpiece of all of scriptures. If you're reading the Bible and you're not seeing how verses are pointing to Christ, you're not reading the Bible right. 
Charles Spurgeon says the same way that all roads in England lead to London, the same way that all of Scripture points to Christ and leads to him. Every, every word, every iota, every dot is somehow whispering his name. And it's not just the scriptures, it's your longings. Your longing, you are, you, you are restless and you are unsatisfied because, well, it's your longings whispering his name, saying, this isn't him. This isn't him. Keep going. There's more. Don't settle. Keep chasing. Don't turn your desires down. Turn them all the way up. So if you ever find yourself in here on a Sunday morning or in any church and you don't leave thinking that Christ is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, either I have failed you, some other church has failed you, or you're not desperate enough because you don't really know how much you need him until he is all you have. And see, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to this place out in the desert where nothing is delivering for you. So you'll finally say, I've got nothing left to do but to reach for Christ. And you reach for him and you say, ah, it was you the whole time. I'm such a fool. What have I been doing? The eunuch was desperate enough, so he found Christ. And then in his desperation, Philip tells him something. We don't know what he told him, but we can speculate because he's reading from Isaiah 53. So what did he probably tell him? Well, he probably just said, hey, well, we do know it said he started with that text, that scripture, Isaiah 53. And here's what he probably said. The suffering servant that came that you've been reading about, that's Christ. And he came to be just like you. Just like me, what do you mean? Well, let me show you. He came to be cut off. Here's what Isaiah 53 says. He was despised and rejected like you were at that door. But he was despised and rejected so the door could be opened to you. Isaiah 53 says he was a man of grief and sorrows and they hid their face from him. Christ, the world, hid his, their face from him, the Savior, like ran from him, turned away from him so that the eunuch and so that you and I can see the face of the Father. It says the Christ, the suffering servant, would be the lamb that's led to the slaughter and before his shearers is silent. So like the eunuch went to the shearers, so Christ went to the shears. Only he was, something far worse was cut off. He was cut off from the land of the living. And it emptied him of life. And then it says he was crushed for our iniquities and by his wounds we are healed. And so you, Mr. Eunuch, you have wounded yourself. It's like with us, we've wounded ourselves with our sin. But he was wounded in our place so that we could be healed. Same thing with the eunuch. He's no longer a dry tree. Grafted in. And then, my goodness, Isaiah 53. Christ emptied himself and became a servant. Servant on the cross. Emptied. Now, what does that mean, he's emptied? 
he knew the Father. Jonathan Edwards explains that, and this is interesting, I don't know what I think about it, but I'm still thinking about it, and it's interesting, that the Holy Spirit is the love that unites the Father and the Son, which is a cool idea. I'm still not sure how I feel about it, but here's the point. The relationship that Jesus knew with his Father was so pure, so intimate, and all that he wanted and longed for was his father. And he had him for all of eternity. He knew nothing else. Complete satisfaction. Always rested. Always at peace. He knew it because he had the father. And then on the cross, he's cut off and he, he's emptied from this relationship. And then he says, my God, he's crying out like that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's longing so deeply, and everything he wants is his father. And his father, do you know what his father does in that moment? His father turns away from him. His father shuts the door to his love for him, and then he hands him a cup. And it's the cup of the father's wrath for all of the sin that the world has ever known and ever done. It's all there, and the father says, this was the plan before the beginning of time. The father says, here's your cup to drink. The cup was for you. The cup was for me. And he drank it all the way down. And then he hands you the cup of living waters. Spirit to dwell within you. He hands you everything you want. It's all in him. He paid the penalty. He paid everything. He went to hell and he conquered it. He went into death and he conquered it. And he took your sin and he put him upon himself. And the wrath of the Father is all pouring down upon him, satisfying the wrath of God so it's no longer for us. All we get is love. Sundays are not about you coming here to hear some strategy about a better life. I've got no interest in that for you. I mean, I want you to have an amazing life, but the only way to get that is in him. This is not about some self-help message, though this will help you. And it's not, it's not about you. I mean, I mean, I know somebody had to have done this. Someone is here thinking, I am here, and God loves me more because I came here today. That's not true. He loves you because he loves you. And that is the reason why you walk through these doors that are always open to you. You're walking into the the gate of his presence, and it's open. There's nothing more than him. He's everything. All of the joy that you're seeking and happiness that you're seeking, it's in his presence. The joy of his presence, that's what you want, that's what you need. And So you see, you're out there in the desert, longing. You turn your desires up to ten, and he's there. And he's there in the dry desert to be the living water that you are baptized in to give you life. He takes deserts and he turns them into a paradise. He's doing that with you. He's doing that with me. He's doing that with our world. He's doing that within our city. He's doing that among us together as a people. But he's the answer always. So just let's keep running to him to be filled to be healed, and to be welcomed. Let's pray. Father, teach us to treasure your son.
for what he's done. Teach us to not be satisfied in anything but you. Help us see that you are the door, the path, the gate. And you are our paradise. We need your help, God. And you know, God, we don't want to be in the desert. Like, we don't want to be so stubborn and stick, stiff-necked and hard-hearted that we go to the desert. But, you know, when we do, God, just come and get us. Come swift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.